Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Chris Washer97, and with me by my side here is going to be Cookie Monster FL. How are you doing tonight, Cookie? I'm doing great. Doing great. We get to talk about sports car racing and specifically uh, our Daytona weekend that we had over here in the States. And then, uh, and this is a, kind of like a crazy episode, too, because then we're going to throw it like out to the other side of the world to hear a report down in uh, Australia land. And uh, from from the guys down there, right, Chris? I think I think that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, so basically, yep. So me and Cookie will uh, go on in your ears for an hour about the Daytona Twenty Four, and then we'll throw it out to the other side of the world with Heavy Chris and Floodman Eleven, or Michael Zalafari, and they'll talk about the Bathurst Twelve Hour. So it's just Bathurst and Daytona for this episode. Next time you'll see me and Cookie. Um, I believe we'll probably. Uh, talk a bit in depth about the Asian Le Mans series and how that turned out because Le Mans invites were on the line and some short, probably some short reviews of Kyalami and other uh, sort of stuff and also a Sebring preview. Duh. Um, that's coming up soon. So we'll, we'll gather on all those other topics, but for right now it's just Daytona and speaking of Daytona, how, how was it? How was your experience at the track? I was like, how was it? I think I watched it. Oh, wait a sec. That's right. I was there. Uh, it was great. Um, uh, it was extremely packed. Uh, definitely the most I've seen ever there in terms of going to a IMSA event. I mean, the from what I could gather in the grandstands, the amount of fans that were in there seemed almost parallel or more than, clearly more than the Xfinity race uh, that were there just to see that one. I mean, Daytona 500 looked insane i mean that from uh, uh talking about pre uh, last weekend's uh daytona 500 and that weekend um so i just the the amount of fans that were there i heard <clears throat> there was some amount of estimated total about total admissions was like somewhere in the forty-eight thousand for a day which i think was would have broken an, an imsa record at daytona don't quote me i don't know even know where i heard that but it was like forty-eight thousand. uh attendance per day or something like that at least that was announced on saturday or sunday i could be wrong but it was just extremely packed uh, the turn one to uh outside camping area it seemed like that got expanded or at least they utilized a lot more space uh they opened it up i would say within the last three or four weeks before the event and allowed more camping opportunity there uh and uh I I want to give a shout out to anybody who camped way that far out and outside of like Daytona um, NASCAR turn two because it was that was a long walk. <laughs> I mean that was like a forty minute walk to get to where the uh, the 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 trams were to take you in the infield just to get there. Like it was a I would not have wanted to be out there, but we were in uh, infield um, NASCAR turn three, kind of our usual spot, and uh, it was it was great. Wasn't sure if I was gonna make it. Had uh, some issues with the car, but that got fixed uh, by uh, Ren Sports local uh, repair shop in uh, in Florida, here where I live, which was crazy. They had a mural of a bunch of uh, of GT and uh, Le Mans cars, and of course a Glickenhaus, because I guess they did some servicing with it in the Nurburgring twenty four hour race. The uh, uh, the uh, what is it? The 003, I think, or the 002. Uh, so it was, it was crazy, crazy. Uh, I took pictures for the guy because he was like, well, I'll get you there before before the 24. Don't worry. Because I was like, I need to use this car to get there, man. He's like, we'll be good. And then uh, I had like a, uh, I think it was a turbo, uh, like kind of exhaust or like piping, uh, exhaust piper intake. I'm sorry. And um, that popped off like when I was going under the track, uh, NASCAR turn one. 
So we did a little in infield repair, indecisive rock decided to help out and get under my car and jack it up with my like roadside jack and we fixed it. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great Daytona weekend. Um, you know, and it always has an interesting and unique experience. Uh, this year, the amount of fans that were at the track was incredible. Um, the atmosphere was, uh, just very vibrant. There was just a lot of people really, really high hopes. Like you did, you just tell people were really excited and definitely the the better temperatures helped all weekend i mean we really didn't have any issues like we have had in the last few years in terms of weather um the weather literally got better as the weekend rolled on um and we even ended with basically like a normal almost uh, florida spring uh you know 80s and whatnot on sunday so i it was it was a fantastic race to attend um I still feel like my earlier concerns about Daytona's handling of some of the the um, the crowd stuff could probably have been handled a little bit better too, and hopefully this is just more things to come of them just kind of giving more expanded area for uh, people to go uh, to still be able to attend the event in person because I think it it is such a unique event and there are so many opportunities to see sports cars in a different, unique way here um, that it, they're putting in a good product, so... That was a little mini rant, but yeah, I absolutely enjoyed <laughs> uh, attending the Rolex 24, um, plus all the other races that uh, were held by support series, not to mention the, the two MX-5 races and then uh, Michelin Pilot Sports Challenge race. I'll, I'll tell you, Cookie, the, the people who didn't enjoy the Rolex 24, uh, a Porsche, uh, that's something that uh, was, was a huge talking point all week about the BOP of the Porsches, and obviously people are like, oh, are they sandbagging? And... You know, and people are on the you know on the other camp of no, they should give them a boost. Well, the people who said they should have gave them a boost, those were uh, they were right. As we saw during the race, the Porsches were very uncompetitive, um, especially with that straight line section on uh, sector three, with the whole high bank of the uh, NASCAR three and four. Um, it 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 was just wasn't good, um, and I, I'm afraid. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think the the BOP just ended up being wrong to begin with. I I, I understand there is so, uh, so uh, sort of uh, excuse me sort of a precedent set that the FIA kind of do this the ACO with their um, BOP handling. I've seen Corvette basically kind of get sent to the back so many different times in the WC for their one-off stuff. Not again, I'm not blaming them or anything like that, but I think the way that they, that the WC specifically has always approached BOP has been like to uh, a slow and steady approach. And if you're homologating a new car, that doesn't immediately make it fast. And um, I think I still, I'm fine with that. I think the thing that rubs people wrong is that they're brand new cars and that you're trying to set everybody up fairly. And this is, it's a it's just an anticlimactic way to introduce a new car which should have its own strengths its own improvements and the car could straight up potentially be slower than its last year's car if it just stayed in you know with not upgrading anything and just running another year's homologation worth like i, I that definitely rubs people the wrong way whether that's right or wrong i kind of err to the side of i think if anything imsa should at least be slightly nudging numbers correctly 
towards some of these manufacturers way, but not in any amount of crazy uh, modifications. I mean, like a 5% change, like in whatever relative thing that they're doing. I'm not, you know, and that's even of a small window of a small part of that entire, like, uh, car. I, I just think that with Porsche being so far behind, uh, you know, throughout at least the roar, what, what we saw, and then the first practice sessions, they at least should have had a minuscule assistance just to at least, <clears throat> um, even though it wouldn't have been appreciated that much, it still would have been easier on the cars. And then at least it gives the governing body a chance to look at all the original data they had, compare the 5% potential performance delta on X wing or something like that, and then go from there. And at least like if they do have terrible BOP through the race, they're at least like, five percent faster than they you know uh their performance delta was increased by five percent kind of thing and that can at least be visual in the IMSA thing but that's what jars me so much is because i feel like the way that the wc does it is because they have that auto bop thing where you're like okay well i see more like hammer swings uh sometimes when it comes to wc than with IMSA at least when it comes to performance, like adjusting new cars. Um, IMSA definitely takes more swings, I feel like, uh, for individual performance for races and stuff than WC does. But I do feel like WC have a structured approach with this. And while it is annoying and frustrating, new cars do end up potentially being good uh, through that start of year. At least for what they were doing here at Daytona, that was like they had zero chance. And I just feel like, you know, if if you even gave them one or two percent chance... It didn't didn't give him a bone, but you gave him a little, just a tiny piece of meat or something. Like, then at least that's enough to go like, okay, like based on the results that we saw, yes, we made a mistake on BOP. Here's how we found out about that in terms of like what we were expecting deltas and what we got, and we're gonna move on from there and be fine. Like, but at the same time, I, I don't, I don't think it's something that's gonna bother me too much at the end of the day because I do feel like this will, uh, be quickly ironed out. Um. I don't know, you know, I, 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 I feel the frustration of people that definitely want to see those cars do better. And the 296 didn't really do too well either, but that probably could be more said for them just getting hit by other cars than anything else. So, but yeah, the Porsches being that far off definitely were not, it wasn't a good look, especially for how many there were out there. Like it, it just, and to have no adjustments really given to them at all throughout the entire process after it was already set was kind of, it just, Again, it rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. Like, why couldn't you just at least do a testing freebie for them somewhere where they're just at least they're getting slightly faster here, but losing some there. So at least it makes it look like they're doing you're doing something by just getting more data instead of just doing nothing and be like, ah, they're bluffing and then being wrong. I'm in a rant mood tonight, Chris. And for clarification, we were talking about the GT cars for Porsche. Uh, yes. At the th- uh, GTD cars. The- the nine the nine six three for Porsche actually it, it fared relatively well on pace on the on the mechanical side of things on the reliability side of things maybe not so much uh, but but yeah I think uh, probably taken too long to get to this but obviously debut race for GTP LMDH cars very very big in this new generation of sports car racing since you were at the track. And I was watching on TV. Like how how does do these compare to let's say the DPI cars? Uh better. They're they're better. 
I would say the like there's there, there's not a uh, really high screeching kind of noise, but otherwise it they every single manufacturer has their own unique sound to it. Um, <clears throat> you can tell that the speed is a little bit faster um, in terms of like last year to this year. Uh, just even being at the campsite and seeing them on the banking, you can just tell that they're a little bit faster. They just look more aggressive too. So I, I think that ultimately. You know, even though they might not be as fast as we once knew them to be, because these are all new cars, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna be crowd favorites. I feel like um, it'll be nice to see other cars come online as well, uh, and I would expect to see some potential LMHs make some appearances as well, which should really help kind of colorize the field. But yeah, as a first first race, it they were great. The Cadillac sounded awesome. Um, I I was I like I sort of like the Porsche. I still I'm not sure how I feel about it, but just the sound of it. But um, they all look great, and I think they definitely do add a lot more kind of I don't want to say international flair, but you can definitely tell that these these things mean a little bit more business than the previous ones, and I, I think it also helped the gravitas of the fact that like a lot of these cars are going to Le Mans too. Um, and that that helped. So I also the 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 LED bars and stuff like that. I think the all the OEMs are starting to go naturally crazy with the LEDs and their schemes and stuff. So the the Porsche like flat bar in the back and just like what some of the fronts like the, the BMWs like they all look like these weird interesting light shows now <laughs> coming past you. So even on the banking and in the infield, they were just like they look like spaceships. I don't want to say again. But you definitely felt like, oh, God, these things are going to go really fast. Um, It still didn't have that pull out of the corners like the LMP1Hs did. Uh, But, you know, what's that's, you know, that's that's a fairy tale now. But they still feel like they are faster than the DPIs, um, depending on whether or not you look at a stopwatch or not. So, yeah, I I overall really like them in person. So uh, I'm hoping that we get a little bit more race out of it because it definitely did look like uh, one OEM specifically one team had it completely wrapped up almost as long as they didn't run into too much trouble which they certainly tried uh, at the front of the field so yeah I mean pretty much right off the bat like the whole story was like oh Acura never did this much testing they're not going to be competitive they're going to have issues it was quite the opposite wasn't the number 60 car got pole and just never looked back. I mean, the Cadillacs, the two Chip Ganassi Cadillacs, really posed the challenge and made it a competitive race along with the uh, Wayne Taylor car. Uh, with the, the Porsches were a little bit behind, but they're still able to at least make some attempts at, like, the minor positions. Um, but it was pretty much just Acura. Uh, an Acura's race all day. Um, BMW was kind of uh, the lone one out with problems right in the beginning of the race i believe they had to do an mgu replacement on that car i believe it was the 25 they had to do it and then the the 24 i can't remember if the 24 had any issues except for pace but yeah bmw in the gtp class has definitely the uh the most amount of work to do on par of being competitive a porsche like I said earlier, who are kind of they're kind of behind, but they're still able to be somewhat competitive. I uh, can't remember which car was which, but one had that. Um, can't remember what exactly it was. But it was like a battery failure, 
the, it's the thing that goes on on the passenger side of the car where they have to replace that. Mm. And then the other one in the very, very early part of the morning, the three, four o'clock, five o'clock maybe, where they it went, try went around the outside of a car to lap in the kink and just kind of went off in the grass and caused some damage to that car. So definitely in terms of uh, GTP, Acura and Cadillac are definitely the most competitive. And I'm excited to see... Uh, the upwards mobility of how Porsche, Porsche we know are going to have their stuff together because Penske perfect and whatnot. Mm. BMW already made itself the underdog story. Uh, they did some testing at Sebring this past week or so along with the GTD Porsche. So I'd imagine it's for BOP data and the BMWs, I believe are still the last uh, cars time wise. So that'd be interesting how that goes. Uh Let's go down below the food chain a bit. LMP2, with probably the closest finish in Rolex 24 history. That was incredible. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say with that. That was that was a, a chase down, and, I mean, you pulled out the right time, had enough of the side draft, got just enough far ahead. I mean, if that was, it, you know, if it was 20 feet, that line was 20 feet farther down, you would have seen, you know, uh, man, the 04 kind of, catch back up on the inside i mean it was the perfect slingshot distance it was i mean it was really well really well timed and you kind of didn't think it was going to happen too uh because out of the bus stop he didn't really look like he had enough momentum to do it and honestly i think he messed it up a little bit there and if he did take that corner better i think he might have made the move too early potentially so it just was it ended up being a perfect run at the line and i mean yeah it gotta be gut-wrenching for for <laughs> for the 04, but still, that was an incredible finish for LMP2. And it's been, LMP2 is actually, because normally sometimes in IMSA, uh, at least in the past couple of years, LMP2 was kind of like, oh, they're, they're laps, you know, between each other. Um, this, however, wasn't the case. LMP2 was actually somewhat competitive throughout the entirety of the race, from what I remember. Obviously, it was a gut punch in the, right in the beginning because of the tower events car with the Indy, with the bus bros lineup had some issues. I believe some it's like camera was it, wasn't it like coolant leaked onto something in the car. Mm -hmm. It was something along those lines where they take it behind the garage and get it fixed. And by the, at the time that they got back on the track, they're like 11 laps down. But, but at the time the checkered flag came out, they're only like what two laps down or something along those lines. So it was a massive comeback for that team. Yeah, I mean, you and you saw those fight those comebacks too a lot. Uh, there was a decent amount of safety cars. LMP3 was a complete mess. Um, they had some engine issues, uh, driver issues, car issues, just whatever uh, contact. So there was quite a few safety cars. Brought uh, the pack kind of closer and allowed those waiver rounds to get their laps back. I mean, GTD ended up, I believe, with like what twelve cars in the lead lap. Uh, you know, on the lap, basically in that final hour. So they. Um, yeah, there was going to be tight racing no matter what, especially at the end when you had that many cars still in contention. Uh, LMP3, uh, the point of contention for this race, many people who think it didn't belong. It was, it was a lackluster race, I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. Because there's a battle for the lead in the overnight portions, and then pretty much, I couldn't remember for the life, I think it might have been the Sean Creech car mm -hmm. that had issues. And then pretty much right after that, whoever was in the Catbird seat, uh, took the lead, and then with all the issues the LMP3 cars had, gave him that, I think it was like 11-lap lead or something. 
Yeah, um, it was nuts. Uh, AWA basically walked away with it, but it wasn't necessarily that close uh, up until even like two hours ago. So it, it, on the on the end result sheet, it looks a lot different than what it was in the race, but it was truly right. an, uh, a race of attrition for LMP3. And obviously we talked a little bit about the GT, mainly about Porsche. Uh, Heart of Racing, Aston, took the overall GT win with its win in GTD, and then the WeatherTech Racing, the swan song for Cooper McNeil, uh, wins the, his first Rolex in the GT Day- uh, Daytona Pro Class. It was a dream come true, Chris. GT. Just a dream come it true. Was, yeah, and then, then uh, it was, it's a shame, because <laughs> GT, it was good when we were able to see it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we don't, I mean, I, I think it might be a taste of things to come with that uh it's you know the pro- prototype class is going to be really interesting but i really hope we don't avoid the gtd battles because i have a feeling they're going to be really intense this year absolutely and i know you're at the track but i know uh some people who are at the track who are trying to get uh screens of the race in the infield it i i think it, it would be very remiss if we didn't talk about broadcast um okay so so, people, if you're watching on the international feed, it was kind of frustrating where you would see all these battles for GT positions, but they would only show, like, a lone GTP car because that's what NBC wants to focus on. But from what I've heard from people who are watching on Peacock, I heard it was a nightmare. I can't quote you on any of that. I, I know we did try to stream stuff from the NBC app, and we did get some of that on there, but we... Um... Like for most of the most of the race, at least maybe into the evening, like we just couldn't get any of the uh, any stream to work. The 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 data coverage was just soaked, which was also peculiar too, because there's a whole huge Verizon five G tower, like mobile tower thing that they had erected and just advertising the crap out of. And Verizon still was just the worst network to be on by far if you're at the track. So uh, take note, heed everyone. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I haven't watched, rewatched it yet. I've watched several parts of the international feed over again. Uh, but I wouldn't surprise me that it was terrible. In what way? I'm assuming just the commentators not knowing anything and them just no, constantly. It was, it, was, it was the ads. Oh, was there a lot of ads? Oh yeah. Right. Wasn't there? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had heard the so, ads were bad, but I didn't, I didn't know anything more than that. Basically. So just to give you an idea. So basically when the NBC commentators kind of, you know, gave up for the night and when Peacock was using just the IMSA radio guys, they even had commercials then. They, they cut out from the IMSA radio commentary to throw in more commercials. Oh, good, because that's what I read. Yeah, well, I, I guess they thought the audience was sleeping so they could sneak some subliminally yeah. in there, I guess. But I have no idea. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, if the... Yeah. <laughs> commercials whatever i mean we just again the daytona 500 was last weekend so i wanted to but like that was just ridiculous with how many commercials were in that would you say uh, there would you say where there, there were more commercials on the peacock stream than there were on the fox stream for the daytona 500 versus the rolex 24 because i don't know man the, that daytona 500 coverage was uh was ass uh, i was one of the enlightened ones and uh I watched on this thing that we call the we nickname it the Allah stream. Yes, I I know. Yeah, I do. I do. I just I had uh, what was it? I had some family over, and I just I I couldn't like stream that. 
because they would they would freak out. Oh, <laughs> but that's the best right. that's the best one to do because they don't they just stay they don't go to commercial and they just have uh, what's her face do uh, little updates uh, for the pit oh, road. Uh, Jesse Punch. Yes, that's it. I knew it was like it had to be Doctor Punch or something like that. But yeah, I love that because yeah, you don't get any of the commercials. You get some some background noise. Sometimes they don't even bring them on. So it's just like watching cars doing laps. It's great. I why can't all streams be like that? I was gonna say, for anyone who's unaware, if you're wanting to watch NASCAR coverage, uh, adsports.ae, and the best part about it, it's completely legal. It's a, it's an official broadcaster of NASCAR, but they, they it's just the stream is out there for anyone to watch. It's perfect, it's... and it's commercial free. <laughs> That's the best part. Whenever I find a stream like that, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta make sure that I know where this is at all times, because it's, it's my preferred method anyway. I would rather just get the satellite feeds of everything. So, I remember right. back in the '90s in NASCAR, you could get those uh, satellite feeds of the commentators just tooling around in commercial break. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I definitely <laughs> lost my train of thought. Where are we at, Chris? <laughs> oh, we were. At the uh, we were talking about broadcasting, and then obviously we went to the oh, yes, Daytona yes, 500. Yes, yes. Um, I think I remember Indecisive Frock, the person who were you with at the track. I remember him telling a story how they were trying to put on Peacock on the track, so they have like something as a feed. But then like it, it, the ads just too much, and they just he just gave up. Imagine the people watching at home on their couch when they're not at the racetrack, when they have any, like all these other multiple of options to, for their entertainment. Okay. I, I, I have one specific anecdote. I will say the amount of times I'll be walking in the infield and a lot of people have satellite. A lot of people have like better connections than I do to the internet or whatever, but I would assume a bunch of people have Peacock or just normal ways to get it. The amount of times I saw that damn, waiting screen on everybody's like whenever i just glance over i would see the nbc you know the peacock like your program will be right back or whatever that thing said i would see that everywhere and it's not like i would be like oh wow that's just a lot of commercials and whatever i'd just be like all right like why (laughs) this is you know like if if they're at a if at a racetrack i'm just so used to seeing like people's tvs and stuff to to the race broadcast but like, for whatever reason, whenever I would look at this year's Rolex 24, I would always see that commercial thing. And it just, it, it was weird because, you know, Peacock is usually just, sure, we'll give you the, the full 24-hour stream. We're not doing anything. Here you go. And they definitely went a different route this year. So, I don't know. I'm not a fan. But maybe we'll just need that, your uh, your your stream you previously mentioned to fill in the gaps here for us eventually when they start broadcasting IMSA races. Man, I, this is I, I'm like derailing everything. Okay, so uh, what's what's your next thought on the Rolex Twenty Four besides uh, the broadcasts? Did you like it? Were were you a fan of the race? I was definitely a fan of the race. I think obviously, I wish they were shown more than they what they did. Uh, but me watching the IMSA, I had the IMSA TV feed on, so obviously I never had the uh, the, the quaints and complaints of Peacock that I you know. I did have to suffer with it, basically. The new graphics are actually, they they look pretty, 
it's a new facelift for the international coverage. Um, it's an improvement, I which is yeah, no, those. yep, no, it's an improvement, which is shocking. I was expecting worse, honestly. <laughs> I, had, I had no uh, problems with it, so. I I do think it looks a little bit better. I know people have problems with the huge roundel in the uh, top left corner of the screen. Uh, anyway, but yeah, but overall the race, I think the hype. Um, I think I do. I do think the hype delivered. I think it was definitely for the LMP2 class. That's for sure. GTD and GTD, uh, D, uh, GTD Pro, those were battling all throughout the race. Um, obviously, WeatherTech had the uh, got the Swang Song victory for Cooper McNeil. Uh, I'm sure there's something other than because um, it's been almost a month since the race happened, so things have left my brain. Oh, uh, what uh, actually? Did Action Express get taken out by a uh, LMP3, or, or did it take out an LMP3? Was what was the other? Um, Do you remember? Uh, was it that they got rear-ended, or was that uh, one of the other cat? No, I think that was the yellow Cadillac that got rear-ended by an LMP2. Oh, was LMP2, it? LMP2 I thought Action Express had some, but there's also yeah. the. Uh, this is when the race was going into night, where one of the Cadillacs uh, had to replace their rear, uh, the rear of the car. The, the rear bodywork, and you would see the cameras panned into the pits, where they're actually replacing the rear bodywork that they had before, because there's a part shortage, mm-hmm. and that's something I've never seen before. Where yep. they the, the 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 contents of the car that they that that, that that they took off to replace it, that they had to work on that you know, uh, they had to work on that specific part. I, I'd never seen that before. Yeah, it was again. It's it's just like the this specific time that it's going to be like this, this and uh, the deadline for them to get all this stuff done and ready for the race was not necessarily. It, it wasn't like they didn't have enough time, but everybody was on a really short schedule with a lot of things to get it all put together, and people knew uh, ahead of time, especially for the weekend before the race, that it was going to be tight if it came to. Lots of broken parts and a lot of different aero bits that might need to be replaced. They might not have extras, so it did not surprise me at all to see, uh, like especially early uh, front and rear aero changes, uh, especially off the GTP cars, and they they got sent straight back to the garage just to get a little bit more retrofitted and just kind of keep cycling between two of them to you know try to make both of them last as long as possible until one got damaged and you just ride with the other one. So. Uh, it was really interesting to see that, uh, and, and walking the pits too during the race. It was, it was clear that there were definitely lots of, of missing places where parts usually are or not, and there, and you could definitely tell that a lot of them were being repaired right there to get them back out and running. So, it was pretty crazy um, looking at the part shortage for some of the uh, cars in the categories. I think we hit on pretty much the major points of. This year's Rolex 24. I can't remember if anything other, anything, anything major happening. Mitchell and Powell's Sports Challenge. That was a pretty good race. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Harrison Burton. And who was the teammate? Was it Zane Smith who got the win uh, was in the, that race? Uh, yeah, the the Mustang that was good. I mean, they, they definitely drove that thing very well. Um, and uh, it did, it again, performed very well Daytona. The thing is, uh, got great straight line speed. So it's that brute American horsepower. But uh, it wasn't like I, I, I won't say that that was like the most spectacular race, but it was it was a perfectly great opener to the series. 
Um, nothing crazy too much. MX five races were great as usual. Um, you know, some, some accidents here or there, but beyond that, uh, nobody, nobody had anything serious. So honestly to escape away from this weekend with no injuries is good. Except for, uh, there was definitely some, some stuff going on the roar, but beyond that, (laughs) it was, it was good to have a good, uh, Rolex 24, especially weather wise. And yeah, like I said, the crowds were just fantastic. Uh, and I'm ready to do it again next year. Hopefully we'll see how it goes, but I know we've got uh, Sebring coming up, so I got to prepare for that first. Yeah. Yep. And and next time you will hear us will be a preview of super Sebring along with a quick review of what happened in the Asian Lamar series and the Kailami nine hour. Uh, Other than that, I think we said what we need to do on this piece. I think it's time to take a, take this over on the, uh, on the other half of the world. Sounds good. Oh yeah, I will. Uh, I'll also be doing the uh, MX Five. I'll, I'll do a little recap of the MX Five race at St. Pete too uh, for our next That's right. episode. So uh, this the, the this upcoming weekend. Yep. yep. Uh, actually, the weekend after that we're recording this, it's going to be the the St. Petersburg Grand Prix, which features uh, Mazda MX Five Cup and uh, GT America, which is will kick kick off the SRO America season. And uh, Cookie will have his reports from there yes. as well. Yes, I'll file my reports with paper and make the paper ruffling noises as per <laughs> the usual norms. So, all right. Anyway, we're going to turn it upside down now. See y'all. Gazoo. Great. Gazoo. <laughs> Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to part two of this wrap-up episode. We're going back down under, so of course it is me, Michael Zolivari, and I'm joined with Kiwi Chris Riddell. Welcome back, Kiwi. Hey, Michael, and you've got Junior Riddell here, just chipping along in my hair in the background. Sorry for that. Ah, it's fine. It's a part of being, being part of the family now, right? She's officially part of the family. Exactly. She's on She's on the podcast. <laughs> royalties too, right? Royalties? You're getting Royalties? She is now. Oh, <laughs> okay. Lucky her. Uh, we're here to talk about Bathurst, uh, Bath- the Bathurst 12-hour, of course, which was at the beginning of the month. And all things considered, Chris, it was quite a cool race. It was. Okay, yes, the grid was probably slightly down on numbers in previous years, as we you know, alluded to numerous times. It's still a good sign. But the race itself was an untypical Bathurst, but still a very enjoyable one. Well, yeah, it's it was something that we've not been really used to seeing uh, at Bathurst. Um, but the thing is, the thing that I always find, and the thing that all the international people who come here always find, is that the track itself is what turns it on, and that was one hundred percent what was happening. Now we're oh. going to do this a little differently. What's going to happen is that Chris is actually going to be asking me the questions this time around, and so Chris, you you have the floor. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to touch on, and. I picked this up on TV, and you were there, so you would have picked it up in person. The atmosphere of this weekend just gone looked absolutely phenomenal, even more so than previous twelve hours. Yeah, absolutely. And the there... crowd numbers looked way up. The weather just turned it on. It looked absolutely amazing. And, and I think they, those were the key things, particularly with the weather. It was like warm, but not like twenty twenty, where it was boiling hot. I think that might have kept a few people away. Whereas the fact that it was just like 25 degrees all weekend was just perfect 
Um, they said, uh, I wasn't sure on the exact details, but they said that it was a, a attendance record over the weekend of something like 53,000 people, which is... Yeah, 48 or something close to that. Yeah, which was like 10,000 people more than the last time that they ran it with the international field. So that's uh, just like the atmosphere, the crowds in the paddock on the hill, the fact that on the on the Friday you had like visiting school children there just as like in the paddock getting an experience of it and sitting out on the hill at Hell Corner just, you know, soaking in that atmosphere and, and being really excited about it. Like we could I could hear them on top of the media center on the pit lane like just screaming their lungs out every single time a car went past. The atmosphere was just so like it's so bathurst it, it, it felt so much bigger than yeah. it had in the past yeah and that school kid thing you know that's how i got my first experience in motorsport in this country going to a nation's cup thing at sandown really years ago wow yeah. um got to sit on the pit building with sandown one friday with a school school outing that's really, really cool. And I actually had a chance to talk to the director of the event about it because that was something that he put in for this year. And he had a great quote, which I'm probably not going to get exactly right, but he said it's about uh, getting those fans of tomorrow, creating the fans of tomorrow. And I think, you know, obviously it worked for you. Yeah, it definitely worked for me. Here I am now, 17 years later. Gosh. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Makes me feel old. But, uh, that's just the sort of stuff that motorsport needs to keep doing. You know, just it, it costs them nothing apart from maybe a few bottles of water. And it gives the kids the experience I won't forget. Yeah, absolutely. And and that really started the weekend off on a really, really good note, mm-hmm. having all those kids there as well. Yeah. And then you get down to Saturday, Sunday, crowds just like we haven't seen for the 12 hour before. And I'm sure the noise was incredible. I sort of picked that up on TV as well. <laughs> It, it had a real amphitheater feeling behind it. And as well, like in the paddock, in the signing sessions, it looked like it was the 1000. Just certain garages were getting absolutely mobbed. And of course, there was a very specific Italian motorbike rider who had a, you know. Yeah, Valentino Rossi. Yeah, legions and legions and legions of his own fans. I, I actually took a photo. I'm not sure if I, I'll share it uh, at the moment, but I took a photo of the lineup to get uh, Rossi's signature during the signing session. Um, so at Bathurst, in, in the pit lane, there's these four towers that are basically equidistant, like a quarter of the way down um, each uh, each section of the paddock. Uh, so the WRT pits where Rossi was, was right next to Tower 2, and the line, right went like mm. out towards tower one for about yep. 50 meters looped back to the edge of the paddock which is about a 20 30 meter loop and then kept going back towards hell corner <laughs> all the way to through to the next tower so it was literally like half the pit lane was just people lining up to get rossi's signature it was kind of nuts <laughs> That's that's insane. Because mm. hey, I I can picture that in my mind because I know where those towers are and holy cow! <laughs> yeah, it was a a not insignificant amount of people. Um, it did mean that yeah. some of the other garages that were in that little mix uh, had a, a few less people, so it was a nice chance to catch up with the Groves and with some of the Audi guys. But yeah, no, the the Rossi fever was one hundred percent on show. Yeah, and that came up through the TV as well, but. Just the other parts of the atmosphere, like the corporate areas, the uh, hospitality areas, all look amazing because Brett's was in those every two hours or every 20 <laughs> seconds, it seemed, on the broadcast. He's got the best game, um, I swear to God. Oh, yeah. Just go have a champagne here, a beer here. Oh, barbecue yeah. time, sweet. <laughs> the living the um, dream. 
yeah, it just looked like an amazing day out. Made me realise I made the mis- wrong mistake by having a family. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> you should bring them next time. I will win. I will win this. She's not going to lose her eardrums. Yeah, that's fair. Um, another thing I wanted to mention as well. Uh, having the F one car as well. That oh. was really really cool. Yeah, damn you, Channel Seven for going to an ad break in that. But and Foxtel for loving losing the transmission somehow. But that looked and sounded phenomenal. That's actually and the fact that Liam Lawson actually gave it a bit of willy, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, it, bit. He could have gone so much faster, but that's true. I mean, he was doing burnouts at like Morrow's Corner and Hell Corner to intentionally fudge the lap time. But like, that's the first time I've seen a modern F1 car in person, like in mm-hmm. anger. And mate, just the way that it sounded, the way that it moved, it was just phenomenal. We were, I, I went up and stood on top of the pit building when it was coming down the chase, and woo that sound was mm-hmm. crazy. Pure V8. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully it's, not the, hopefully it's not the last time we see Liam Lawson in, a, in an F1 car, but I digress. That's a different discussion um, for a different podcast. That's a different dis- We're doing a different podcast. Um, anything else about the atmosphere that really stood out to you over the weekend? It, it seemed like the activation was really well done. So, like, the, the welcome pavilion with all these special cars, the cars and caffeine sort of stuff. Um, just, uh, just like talking to people in and around the paddock, it, it felt like it, it just had, had this buzz and excitement. And that, like, that was kind of absent last year because of the circumstances of the event being pro-am and mostly Australian based. Um, it didn't really have that mm-hmm. sort of like buzz. Whereas, like, the whole weekend, like with Rossi around, with the F1 car around, with the friggin' Nissan GTR clocking 330 kilometers per hour <laughs> in the straight in one of the support category events, like God Almighty! Just it, it yeah. just everywhere you looked, there was something cool happening. Um and yeah, yeah, yeah that was pretty sure that's a skyline that can empty its tank in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> empty its oil sump in 10 uh, minutes as well. Yeah. And ran out of driving talent in five. Still, though, um, to have the, yeah. the speed record down Conrad Strait, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, so much so that the organisers have gone, mm, not again. <laughs> Whoops. So he's no longer allowed to race that car. Oh, well, it's fine. Uh, yeah, so I think we'll move on from atmosphere because we know how it's going to broadcast. And it's good to see that the atmosphere of this place is coming back to where it should be for the 12-hour. Um, the weekend was solid for me for a, for a few reasons, though. Yeah, I'm sure it was for you. What was your greatest disappointment from this weekend? Oh, there's there's one or two. Uh, I'd say uh, Audi, their pro car. Uh, they just never seemed to be in it, and when they finally got in it, they got in the wall. Um, during the race, yes. Uh, and the invitational class entirely uh, his fault. Uh, yeah, 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 it's fifty fifty. Um. And then the like on mass the invitational class just that was rough. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. to have to have five six five or six cars initially and then be down to one running member after like half distance was just uh, it's hard it's hard with that class because you want them to to do well and to feature but they just yeah hey, yeah they're Friday Saturday uh, we should uh, mention uh, thoughts with Kitsu Suki he's still recovering from that absolute monster. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we we so it was definitely a brake failure. We don't know 
exactly what happened, but to see the car that far away from the barrier on its roof after hitting the barrier, that's freaking scary. That's ter- absolutely terrifying. Um, I actually had a chat to uh, one of the drivers of the other Mark car, um, Jeff Taunton, and he said that it was exactly the same brakes and rotors that they'd put on all the other cars. It just seemed that that one had a fault and like exploded. So the report back that they got was that there was no brake pressure uh, when he put his foot down. So that's that they're, you know, still in the process to, of determining the actual culprit and whether or not that was, you know, exactly what went on. Mm. But that was what they seemed to suspect. And yeah, completely destroyed that chassis. Just like, just, the the front half of the car just didn't exist and it was a wonder that he was able to get out without serious injury you know obviously he's still recovering but like it could have been so much worse yes um and also having small spectators jump over the fence again yeah that's that's a complicated one that was a really complicated one because i saw now i'm actually going to try and find it um v8 sleuth which is aaron noonan um, did an article about where they actually identified and found the guy who jumped the fence. And it turns out that he didn't want to be identified and he wanted to stay anonymous, but it turns out that he was someone with marshalling experience. And I'm not encouraging anyone in any situation to jump the fence onto a live racetrack, but of all the people who could have, that's probably this like with you know recovery and medical experience it's probably the best sort of person to have done so um yeah, it's, not, it's not joe blogs with a fire extinguisher like we had last time yeah no not absolutely not um yeah so again absolutely not encouraging it absolutely not condoning it but in this specific instance the person who who did identified a uh a, a need and filled it which is like okay but it's it's a complicated issue yeah especially when there's not as much danger as there was like okay the car's on its roof yeah sure there's no fire there's no imminent danger yeah it's Um, it was one of those things um i'll i'll see if i can find the article itself and post it somewhere um but yeah it wasn't it was yes it's 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 hard (laughs) it's one of those hard things yeah the other cars the other cars in that class as well. Did you see the uh, sin incident? Yes, I did see the sin incident. I in fact yes. talked to uh, the driver as well after that one. Yeah, because it wasn't again it wasn't on broadcast, but there was a seven second TikTok video that made it on onto Twitter because through TikTok. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a pretty violent incident as well. Yeah, it it seemed to be very similar to um, sim- similar in in magnitude, not necessarily similar in how it started. Uh, incident to how uh like. Uh, Sam Shaheen and uh, Tyler Evingham came to grief a few years ago um, at that particular part of the track. Um, yeah, the driver said to me um, that he just brought the throttle up a little too early and then lost the rear on the curb and, yeah, it hit the wall and almost went over the top of the wall. Um, lucky to stay within bounds. Yeah. And that's a shame, um, too, because that, that car had struggled with engine problems all day on Friday and they changed the engine overnight and it was like the second session of the day. Um, and yeah, they just mm-hmm. completely binned it. So it was unfor- really unfortunate. And then of course you got the, you had the crossbow that blew us engine so hard it turned into an Audi R8. <laughs> that's, and that's, I love it when they, when they get reincarnated like that. Yeah. It's just a shame that Jaden or Jaden missed out as a result, but at least they were able to make the race. 
Yeah, and they yeah, they I got passed. a they got a um silver cup podium out of it as well, which is pretty exciting. Mm, and good and good work on that. I mean, you can't scoff at that, even if it is silver cup. It's still um, it's still a class yeah. podium at the Bathurst Twelve Hour. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, overall, the racing in the I class, you had the Mark Mazda and the GT4 Merc that was just a problem trying to all race. I don't think TV even showed them after hour four. They did the the classic uh, wrap up with about twenty minutes left after all the overall stuff had died down, and I think that was the most TV time that the Mark car had gotten all weekend. Mm, yeah, I, and that, and that's a shame. And like, I'd love to see the Invitational class or even like the B class. I'd love to see Carrera Cup come back and really fill out the grid because I think one of the great things about Bathurst and the 12 hour is having those slower cars that you have to navigate through over the top and if you're not going to have a lot of them and it's just a GT3 event well it kind of you know reduces that flavor of it I think and like especially with the Mark cars as well they've been around for so long at the event it's kind of it would be a real shame to ever see them not feature yeah that's fair I mean there is a Mark GT coming as well so a brand new Mark car oh I did not know that uh, apparently, uh, 2023, some point, they've, they've built three of them, I believe, so far. Cool. So keep an eye out for that. Um, it's a bespoke. It's, it's not based on anything. It's just a bespoke car, essentially. Nice. I'm I'm keen to see what sure. they do with that, because that'll be... Yeah. They have a good track record for building that's, good cars. That's according to Jeff Taunton's website, anyway. Yeah. So we'll see where that ends. Um, The other big disappointment for me... And, was, I think, around the end of the race, but we'll come into that later, because yeah. that deserves its own airtime. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, with that out of the way, we're talking about some positives. What was your biggest surprise from the weekend? That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think... Well, okay, clearly the biggest surprise from the weekend is the fact that Sun Energy 1 went back-to-back. Like, that's stupid. Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, obviously, if they're listening to this review, they know that happened. But the fact that they, the fact that Kenny Hubble has two Bathurst wins and one of them in an all pro class, like, that's, that's stupid. Um, yeah, that's, that's insane. Uh, has he done his Nuni run yet? Oh, um, I didn't, I, I wasn't, uh, privy to the Nuni run, unfortunately, no. Um, and by that point, I had tried to go to bed because I, I'm not, I'm not sure how many people know this. I did post it on my personal socials. I was sick. Like, I was a sixer dog the whole weekend. So I was like nauseous, headaches, like could not like operate properly throughout the whole weekend. And there I am in the media center trying to do work for daily sports car and going to these friggin' media round tables with all the drivers and the series, uh, like the event directors and all that sort of stuff. And just like on absolute fumes. Um, I finally started feeling better during the race. And then cause I was sitting down in the same spots for so long, I put, threw my back out. So that was my story of the weekend. Oh yeah. It was going back to Sydney and to fly back home the next day was the worst but um <laughs> like so i wasn't really keeping track of a lot of a, a lot of like sub stories unfortunately um i think yeah the the biggest surprise of course is the overall result um and mm. yeah just like that's and that's a ridiculous story and i think that highlights something that we didn't really touch on in the preview and 
the Groves were also trying to exploit this, exploit this, I think, and they probably would have had they seen longer in the race. If you're in pro class, you can't know bronze driver requirement apart from meeting the absolute minimum, which is what an hour forty. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of the, the the flip side of that. You only need to do enough so that way the other drivers don't exceed their maximum. Mm. So yeah, it was yeah, and, and that was in the rule book, and they played they played that to to perfection. I mean, Lucas Stoltz and Jules Yunon were absolutely smashed by the end of it, but they knew what they were getting into, and they got through it. They were smashed with the Bathurst Twelve Hour Trophy. They'll take that any day of the week. I mean, yeah, definitely back to back. Yeah. Um, for me, one of the biggest surprises, and it's probably on me for potting him so much, but Brock Feeney. Yeah, uh, yeah, he a, absolutely. He had a great weekend. A hundred percent. He was the absolute fastest in that car. Yeah, and that was a bit of a surprise. I, like, he's only done five races in GT machinery. Um, three of them have been at Bathurst, um, but he has imp- seriously impressed in that car, in that Mercedes every single time he's jumped into that car. And I reckon there that well there was a there was a hot rumour going around that couldn't be wouldn't be substantiated by anyone, uh, that Shane was unwell or unfit in some capacity. Um, which is why Brock got a lot of running. Because Shane looked all at sea in that car. Yeah, he he seemed all at sea, um unceremoniously all at sea. Like he didn't even do qualifying. And that was a real surprise, because normally, if you've got Shane Van Gisbergen in a car, you want him to do qualifying. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think we'll ever know the true reason. But yeah, it was just odd. Other surprises at me, I think, at me, other surprises for me, I think the, uh, it was more of a disappointment, seeing like the crowd favourites go out fairly early as well. Um, it was a shame to see us lose CL's car and the Grove car early on. There was I'm, another surprise. I'm trying to was. remember what happened to the Triple Two. Um, it, had a, it had a Scotty Taylor off, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they no, hit the wall happened. coming down through the S's. The S's were a popular, it was a mm. popular spot for people to have mistakes, as per usual. Oh, that, yeah, that, that really bizarre one um, that involved the... Uh, the Mark Cini, uh, was it the Hallmark car? The no, no, the, Super, the Supervine car and the Valmont racing car. Yeah. So yeah, that was bizarre. So I, I reckon that Cameron was very unlucky there. Um, so, cause that is sometimes, not sometimes, that's mostly a passing opportunity if you're trying to lap traffic. You go down the inside on the, on the skyline and on skyline if you've got a willing partner. And it looked like, uh, I think it was, uh, James Kunduris, but don't quote me on that one, um, in the car at the time, opened up to let that happen. But, you know, there was a shot of them going side by side over the top of Skyline, and then the next shot is, you know, Cameron in the wall and Kunduris facing backwards. So I wonder if either Cameron's got it wrong and just taken out uh, the Superman car in the process, or the Superman car wasn't aware of his presence or something because it looked really weird because, yeah, the, the Valmont car was leading silver at that point in time as well. Yeah. So um, a bit of an odd one on, on that respect. Very odd one. Um, also surprising for me to see uh, just how well uh, Valentino Rossi actually did. Yeah. <laughs> it was He, he acquitted himself incredibly well considering <laughs> his first time at this place. And how many great GT 
He's done he's done a year, but the year was mostly in the Audi. So he's only done two races in the BMW. Um, I, I was very lucky as part of the media to be able to go to a roundtable discussion with the BMW drivers. And of course, Rossi was the key part of that and got a lot of attention. Um, but the way that he spoke about driving the car was very professional, of course, because he's a professional rider um, for MotoGP mm-hmm. for a long time. So he has that experience. But the way that he was talking about building into the lap pace and uh feeling comfortable and leaving a margin was was actually like you know real race driver stuff so he he was he certainly did himself a uh, a big favor not a favor he he he, he, he he showed he showed he's got the chops exactly yeah thank you <laughs> thank you for translating my brain yeah ah anytime um also surprised that the 99, the boost car. Maybe it's just Triple Eight went on this weekend, but they were nowhere. Well, it was it was odd because at times that car was the fastest in practice, you know, particularly at the hands of, mm. of Stanaway. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that having Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim, who's not the best of the bronze drivers, I'd probably put him outside of the top, top four or five of Australian bronze drivers. Um, you know, any extended drive time that he has to do was always going to handicap them, um, especially in comparison to the likes of Liam Talbot or uh, Brad Schumacher. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those one of those ones. And then you know, I, I think as the the heat of the day came up, the Triple Eight car kind of dropped off. So I think that was the yeah. the tipping and point there. I think the Beamers had the same problem. Uh, they were great early on, and then they sort of faded away late. Yeah, apart and- from that, I thought the Beamers race was pretty much bang on well yeah they they made a small adjustment on the morning but i think i yeah i I think that every time every team had a a chance to show their strengths it was just a matter of maybe the mercedes strength was a bit stronger than everyone else yeah but then that happens yeah Uh, um so with that in mind shall we address the elephant in the room yes we should uh (laughs) Before we do that, though, I, I want to mention. Yeah. I, I want to mention one thing. The pace of the weekend was ridiculous. Lap record and qualifying. So much green flag running. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts, and I'm not sure if it's to do with the conditions of the weekend and this the development of GT3, or because it was the first time with the new Pirelli P0 DHF spec tire. But like. A too too flat in qualifying in the sh- in the the shootout rather, oh my god! Like when that happened, the media center just burst. Like absolutely, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I can imagine it would have. It's, it was, what was the lap time we went? A two oh one four. It was a. I think it was a two. Uh, so the the previous lap record in qualifying, yeah, was a two oh one five. So I think even Brock Feeney's lap was a was a, going to be a new lap record. But the problem was Mario Angle just done a freaking too flat, <laughs> too flat with an eight. Which yeah, is, it was no, re- so not just not crept over, smashed the barrier. That's ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous. And then yeah, as you said, four and a half hours, four minutes, 40, four hours forty five rather of green flag running. You know the the fastest rate average speed of like a hundred and. Uh, sorry, a ridiculous amount of speed. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but they did 2,006 kilometers over the course of 12 hours. Like, that's... Yeah, 323 laps. That's ridiculous. Like, a- actually ridiculous. Yeah. Um, brings to the point, like, how fast is too fast for these cars, but that's 
a question for another day. So shall we address this elephant in the room? Sure, let's do it. Do you want to tell the story or should I? Um, well, you, well, we can both tell the story. So we'll start with about two and a half, three hours ago with news that the Grip M car had a faulty modem. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, it basically is what relays cars' BOP data and I think is linked in with the safety system as well at Bathurst. Yes, so it's part of the yes. flag in the cab system. Um, so it is a required piece of kit. Uh, so if it's not working, yeah. it's not working. Required piece of kit provided, uh, required and provided by the race organisers. If it's not working, you need to fix it. It wasn't working, so Griffin had to come and fix it. They got... Now, I find this unbelievable. They got dispensation to actually fix that part while fueling the car. And I find that a bit crazy. Okay, why? Because... Why? You wouldn't do it in any other situation. That's fair. Um, Just because it's a lead card, you're cutting them some slack. I don't like making one rule for situational racing. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, However, I would suggest that because it is a part supplied by the organisers... Uh, and the work that they were doing to repair that or replace that was not interfering with the refueling. Um, I think that a special dis- dispensation was appropriate to be made um, in that situation because it's not it's not about a performance upgrade or a um, or them gaining an advantage. It's them minimizing a disadvantage which was not of their doing. So I can understand the the series giving them dispensation in that specific instance. Okay, fair enough. So they came in and they replaced that part. Do it. What, they, lo- they lose about, I think it's 30 seconds on top of a normal pit stop? Yep. Yep. So, th- so they did replace it relatively quickly. They end up back in second place. About, correct me from 15 seconds down the road? Yeah, so... <sighs> behind the 75. So, yeah, so it w- what happened there was that... Um, because of the time loss in the pits, the 75 was then able to pit, make their pit stop after the, the 999 had done so, elected to not take tyres and came out with track position. I think it was about eight seconds ahead. So that that is, the I think, the key crux of things here is that without the additional time to replace the modem, they wouldn't Group M wouldn't have been in a position where they were behind, like at all. So, then things get complicated. More complicated, rather. It's just slightly. So, the cars were coming in towards the last hour and a bit of the race. Murray Inkle was right on the tail of the 75. Coming into the chase. Looks like he's going to make a move. Doesn't. Backs out. Next lap. Feigns another move. Backs out again. It's just a matter of time you think he's going to try something and put his nuts on the line to try and pass the car. He does that the next lap. Gets it. Very wrong. Since the 75 spinning, drive through penalty. And that's all she wrote. <laughs> that was the, the controversy of the race, really. I'm probably understanding a bit just how big it was, but... So do you think the penalty in that case was fair? Um, I think it was fair that they got a penalty. 
Uh, I don't think a drive-through was appropriate. The the was was sorry. Let me rephrase that. I don't think a drive-through reflected the extent of what a penalty should have been applied. However, uh, the race stewards were hands were tied effectively. Um, that the only penalty they could give if they were going to give a penalty was a drive-through, and I don't think you could give get away from giving a penalty in that instance. Um, you what, can't give you can't give a black and white warning flag for that. And as well, they couldn't give a post-race time penalty. Um, and the reason for that is because the Bathurst 12-hour rules and regulations don't stipulate that you can. It's different with supercars. If it was a supercars event, they would have been able to give a careless driving 15-second penalty or reckless or however they would have uh, described it. But because it was run under the GT World Challenge rules, the Intercontinental GT Challenge rules, they could not do that. So the only penalty that they could apply was a drive-through. And Which is fair enough, because supercars, you can have an effect on a championship. You can't really do that for a one-off endurance race. Yeah, I mean, IGTC technically isn't a one-off, but I, yeah, it's a one-off. Um, what surprised me about the whole instance, though, is that at no point did it look like Engel was going to redress. Like, I, I would have thought that would have been the simplest thing, to, the simplest solution mm-hmm. in that instance. You redress the penalty, you, you let him back past... And then you go again, like I, yeah. So that surprised me. Very, it was a very DTM style of okay, you're going by. Now I want to talk a little bit <laughs> yeah. about the incident itself. Um, yep. Now, do you think uh, Angle was entirely to blame? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not without question. Without question. Okay, I reckon it's it's more yep. like seventy thirty. It was, it was Stoltz at the time, wasn't it? It was Gu- it was Gunon. Don't worry. It was, it was Gunon, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you reckon Gunon t- took the corner from him? I reckon. I reckon. I I don't reckon Morrow was going to get the pass done cleanly, but I also don't think Gunon left him enough room because obviously when you come through the chase and you you shape up to make a move, like you are committed. Once you hit that breaking point, there's no way that you can slow down faster. So like so, Engel is sent it from deep, sure, um, but. Clearly, Jules isn't just going to let Gunon do that. Uh, uh, let Engel do that. However, the way that Jules arrowed himself towards the apex really took away any wiggle room that Engel had, and that's why I think he went up on the curb, and that's why there was you know that extended contact that made him spin. Um, very sort of sim- a very similar situation, I think, to uh, the Jamie Winkup Scott McLaughlin uh, incident. However, I think um, in that instance, Gunon was under control of his car. Uh, sorry, Angle was under control of his car the whole time, whereas in the supercars instance, Winkup was not. Um, so c- could Angle and Gunon have gotten around that corner without making contact? Probably. But as Jules Gunon said in the post-race press conference, uh I think to win Bathurst, you'd give away your mother. So, <laughs> yes. Obviously, um, he knew what he was doing. Yes, Mrs. Gunon, you're being adopted. <laughs> uh, the um, see, I think you're being a little bit harsh on Gunon there. Okay. Because look at look at the look at the point of contact, and look at the fact that Engel 
was over the curb at that point. Well, the point I, of contact was really in the rear. I, I don't think Angle gets no over point, the curb. At no point. Yeah, I, okay, that's fair. I don't think Angle gets over the curb if Gunon doesn't close the door. I think it, if, yeah, if, 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 if Gunon doesn't like intentionally take an early apex then Gunon has room to maneuver his front like front bias off the curb um, and they'd be making more side to side contact it's one of those things when like you realize that the door's getting closed in front of you you try to back out and that makes it worse because now you're hitting them in the rear and you're going over the curb like you see it all the time um so but yeah that's that that's my thought that was that, the fact that he was that far back though would that suggest that at no point did he should he have thought he had any entitlement to that corner? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> like, I, I think the penalty is entirely warranted, but I think had Angle had a willing partner, they could have gotten around the corner and continued the battle. That's that's oh. my view on it. It's the old Jimmy Broadbent's um, self-preservation yeah. sort of thing. You know, you, you know you're going to have a crash just back out of it. Well, I mean, do you though in the, in the last throws of the Bathurst 12 hour? Yeah. 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 Uh, especially if you, especially if you're coming into your 150 minute drive time limit. Yeah, that's true. And you know, this is a chance to go three in a row, or to win your first if you're Angle, uh, because you know he's been on the podium here four or five times. He's won the uh, that might be a stretch. He's won the I know that he's won the Allison Simonson Award twice, and he this place hates him. This the, the race hates him. <laughs> Every time yeah. he's been in a race winning position, something has gone horribly wrong. It's also good to note he uh, he drove completely angry after this because what was the final margin between him and the leader? I think Four it was one point nine seconds. Yeah, I oh, see. So you got in front of me one point four one. One point four one. There you go. And that was with second place in the middle of that as well. Yeah, um, I do want to touch on that last little battle because had it been in twelve and a half hour race or twelve hour, twelve hour ten minute race, I reckon Matty Campbell would have taken the win. I disagree. I don't think the Porsche had. The beans. No, I, 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 they seemed very, uh, I don't know. Content isn't the right word, but they weren't defeated either. They were like, we got the maximum out of the car. Like we, there was no way that we could have done anything more to, to try and pass. Cause I think, I think the 75 oh. in particular was just a bit too strong on the straights. That, that show because Matty Campbell did actually hit the fence on his way up. Yeah. Parked ex- towards the end of the race. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think if it had been a 12 hour and 10 minute race, the triple nine would have won. Because that's how fast mm. Angle was going at the end of that race. Actually, knowing knowing this race, it probably would have been the thirty-two that would have won because they would have taken each other out. <laughs> yeah, it was it was getting to that point as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. But now that that finish, that last, it wasn't like the most like that last thirty minutes wasn't the most banging barging, but still intense. And that's what I love about this place. Even if you're not door banging, you know they're going as hard as they can. And, and yeah, that's 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 typical of Bathurst, isn't it? It is. I wanted to have a quick chat about the post-race press conference, if that's okay. Yes. So yeah, I wasn't there, so this is your debate. Yeah. So of course, after they do all the podium celebrations, the three three winning drive or the podium drivers come into the press room, and there's a press conference. Um, now there was a lot of interesting th- things said in that press conference, but the thing that I want to focus most on was the vibe it was the most awkward press conference i think i've ever been a part of um and of course that was all because of the the contact between uh gunon and uh with angle um now i don't know i want to make this point because 
just a week earlier, like not even a week earlier, like a, a week minus 12 hours earlier, they won the Daytona 24 hours in GT Pro together. Like, yeah. So they were a week ago in a car winning a Rolex and then a week later making contact to, you know, for one person to win a race and one person to lose a race. Um, and and the first thing Jules best, said... Best of enemies? Well, th- that's the thing. They they were, you know, that both of them were saying like, we are good friends and this is awkward. And the first thing that Jules <laughs> said as soon as he got out of the car was, I'm sorry that we made contact. Like, I'm not sorry that we won. I'm sorry that we made contact. Um... It's yeah, so uh, yeah, it was it was a, just a very weird vibe in that room, and of course, you know, Engel was steaming. Um, Marciello, he said one he, he said one sentence the entire press conference, and the sentence was, "I promised Mercedes I wouldn't give them any bad PR, so I'm not going to speak." That was the only thing he said in the entire press conference. Yeah, because they were all filthy, not the other teams in the penalty, but they were filthy at the organisers for making them change that modem. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair yeah, enough. Um, but. You know, it's 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 racing. If they didn't have to change the modem, they would have won the race. Um, but I want to focus on yeah. one particular thing that uh, that happened. So, uh, Jules was asked um, about the contact. He was asked whether does he think it was a mm-hmm. racing incident or all those sort of things. Um, and uh, Jules said, uh, "You know, I went for it. I, I I tried to defend it, and yeah, as I said earlier, he said." It's a really awkward situation, but I think to win Bathurst, you'd give away your own mother. So that's what happened. That's what I did today. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The really interesting thing, though, was Kenny Habul then chimed in. And he said this immortal quote, which I'm probably going to try and find a way to expand into an article. Um, he said, I'm the one who owns the car. It's my car. And to be honest, when we were leading the race and I saw my car backwards in the grass, I wasn't upset because that is what I expect these guys to be doing to win this race he has to do that that's what he does sometimes it's teammates and that's what they do but that's what i want them to do so it kind of shows as well that's epic yeah like these guys are being pit against each other as factory drivers but they're very good friends off the track and they've worked together a lot of the times Mm. and as i said they won daytona the week before and yet here they are having to throw that all out the window and throw machines at each other to try and win this race it is is a really complex little situation and yeah it made the press conference just awkward as anything (laughs) (laughs) like like the the 75 crew were trying not to celebrate the 999 crew were absolutely steaming and the porsche guys were there just like well we're here i guess (laughs) we're here we're spent (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, it, so it, should, we, should we wrap this up then? Um, yeah. I let's let's. What, what other things? What other stories can I can I tell? Um, as we're wrapping it up. Um, Silver Club. Uh, I was uh, not Silver Club. Sorry, Pro Am. I was uh, a little bemused that in none of the Pro Am guys actually managed to get into the top uh, the top flight and really make oh. it, make their name for themselves. Um, I guess that yeah. is. I guess that is in part due to the how the race went. If there'd been more safety cars, uh-huh. there would have been more wave arounds, but. Um, yeah, I was a little disappointed that, uh, that didn't occur because I was so on board for either the, uh, the Chas Moster 65 car with Talbot and Ross or the, um, 777, uh, Shaheen Feller and, uh, Mies. 
Meese? I thought it was Meese. Um, uh, Car, uh, like, to, to get into the mix at some point, like, they, you know, the fact that Audi only turned up with one pro car and that got dumped in the first hour of the race and, you know, uh, the, um, I've forgotten his name completely, um, but the, the head of Audi Sport Customer Racing was like, we got dumped out of this race. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't. Yeah, uh, mm. you, dumped, you dumped yourself. Yeah, it was one of those where, like, again, self-preservation. <laughs> at that, at that point yeah. in the race, you're not gonna, you shouldn't turn down on someone who's got their nose up on the inside at Griffin's Bend. Anyway, um, if they, if they put Fella, Meese, and, uh, one of the pro, one of the other pros, whether it be, um, like who who else they have that uh like what they had Harsa, they had uh Fabian Schiller. No, did they? I can't even remember. So long ago. Well, they could have just put yeah, put Fafas Martin and Feller in a car. Yeah, like absolutely. Like Feller on point was the fastest driver on track. They could have put uh mm. like they could have put um uh Ricardo Feller, uh Christopher Meese and friggin' um Chaz Mostert in a car together. Yeah. Like Yeah. It was, it, it seemed, it seemed, it seemed dumb. It seemed dumb because the, like, all the other pro cars ran faultlessly, effectively. Um, yeah. So I was a little, uh, bemused by that. Um, and then, uh, Silver Cup, uh, I, I honestly, yeah, I can't, oh yeah, that's right. The Kiwis one. Gross. <laughs> and, uh, Ross Palaka's second place. Um, another big tick for him. Well, I was, very impressed by that because he was a lot faster than his teammates. Um, and yeah. I didn't think that car would be anywhere near the mix in that class. Um, but I, hey, as it shows, like he's, he's still getting a lot, a lot better. Um, he's, he's still learning. He's still getting a lot better. Uh, so yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, that was aided by a couple of silver cars having really dumb accidents too. I mean, that's true, uh, but you, you're going to be in it to win it. To- to finish second first, you've got to finish. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, probably the the best equipped car, the Valmont car, didn't. And, you know, mm. that's that's that. Exactly. And, of course, the invitational class, last man standing in the Mark III Master. Pretty much. Mark III Master. Yeah. Um, yeah. But overall, I'd give the rest a solid three and a half to four stars. Yeah, it was it, it was a slow burn, but in the best way possible. Um, yes, yeah, if you're doing it properly, three and a half to four Pirellis. Ah, <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> that works. Um, what do we expect from this event for next year? What what things should we expect the Bathurst 12 hour to be next year? Bigger grid, same, same or not more spectators, hopefully a bigger IMB classes or more competitive IMB classes. Um, and hopefully, some new spec cars. Ooh. Uh, who is in the process of releasing new spec cars? Of course, the Ferrari well, 296. Mm-hmm. The, the new Porsche. And I th- the new Porsche. Both will be down here next year. Fingers crossed. Um, and, hopefully, and hopefully we'll have some news for 2025 about an Audi replacement because that's getting tired. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that the, you know, Audis were running the R8 in the first GT3 Bathurst 12-hour back in friggin' 2011. Um, that time for an update, guys. Yeah, well, what did they go to? That's a, that's a whole different other podcast, actually. Um, yeah. I want to add to that. Uh, more pro cars, more pro cars from international yes. teams, and that that's going to be hard because of um where it's positioned in the calendar. And in fact, 
the event director was talking about possibly moving it back a week to enable teams from America to to not have to do the Daytona double. Not a worse idea. I had this. I had the sacrilegious idea of swapping the twelve hour and one thousand dates. That is sacrilegious. How dare you? <laughs> Just run run, work, run the one thousand as a as a one off before the season starts in the brand new cars. <laughs> yeah, God, imagine Gen Three's first day. I think being at the mound. Oh, don't terrify me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think if we see a pro class next year of between twelve and fifteen cars with six manufacturers. I reckon that'll be a big tick. Um, and because I think that will be the, the next sort of series of baby steps for this event is to get back to where it was in 2020, where we had 39 cars, 23 of them pro from 11 manufacturers. So like, that's a, that's a huge way to go to get there. But I think if we go aim for like 12 to 15 from six manufacturers next year, that's a good, good spot. Agreed. And if everything goes as well as it did this weekend, it'll be great. Hopefully, I won't be sick next time. Yeah, please don't. Oh, dude, it was gross. It was so gross. I felt awful, and it sucked. <laughs> it's it's always a bit concerning when you uh, walk into the media center and meet people for the first time, and their first thought, their first thing is, "Are you okay? Like you don't look all that well." <laughs> yeah, but that's your normal, normal operation. Wow. Wow, rude. Are you okay? Days coming up. This is true. Uh, no, it's it's always coming up. It's in like September. Gosh, uh, we're derailing. Should, should we end this? We should. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Chris. Ah, no problem. Pleasure's all mine. And Phoebe's. And Phoebe's. Yes, we did her a squeak a few times in that one. Um, thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for the American contingent doing the Daytona wrap up, which I trust they've done a very good job of. Um, and yeah. We will see you again on Endurance Chat very, very soon because before we know it, the European season is going to start and boy howdy, there goes the rest of our time. In the meantime, we'll see you next time. Time. I'm Michael Zellerari. Peace out! <laughs>